beautiful people. I hope you are well. I hope you are safe. I hope your families are safe, regardless of where you are around the world. It has been a couple of weeks, and I don't mean that in any dismissive way, shape, or form. It has been an emotional, exhausting, um, challenging time to be engaged in the news cycle and what's happening. And I know it's important. I want to stay engaged. I want to stay aware of what's going on. I want to stay critical. But it has been a constant struggle to remind myself that I shouldn't look away and pull away just because I can. So here we are. This is something I've been struggling with for the last couple of weeks. Um, I didn't know whether I wanted to continue this episode as I had planned when the Black Lives Matter protests really um, kicked off following George Floyd's murder, I was planning to do an episode on racism, uh, but it became really clear that it was not the time for a white person to be speaking on this and that I should just shut up. And so I took part in the podcast Blackout, which coincided with the two, um, the show must be paused and the Blackout Tuesday movements that were happening. Now there's a lot of contention about how that all went down, but the decision was that I was going to not do my episode and rather promote other people's voices for that time. So technically I had another week to prepare. Um, at 7.49 p.m. on Tuesday when my usual schedule release is at like 6 a.m. on Wednesday, I was still deciding if I should continue with the episode on racism. By the way, I'm giving myself a little bit of an extension because I'm recording this now at 9.30 p.m. on Tuesday and will not have this edited by 6 a.m. But when I've tried planning other topics over the last couple of days, it feels like I'm ignoring the most important civil rights moment in my lifetime, if not in history. But then again, I'm a white woman who's about to talk about racism. So it's been a lot of back and forward. You may be wondering why the hell a podcast that's supposed to be about a lightish look at the shit that I've quit or have tried quitting but can't quit even relates to racism. But it is a topic that I always intended on getting to because over the past few years, I've been through this process of realizing that I was racist and starting this active journey to try and quit being racist and pursue an anti-racist um, life. So here this week are my thoughts on quitting racism. This week, I thought it was really important for me to take more time to write this down and to think it out before I started recording. And so this may come across a little more scripted than usual, uh, but I think it's really important to be mindful of everything that I'm saying. So in case it's not already clear, I am a white, middle-class, middle-aged, Anglo-Celtic Australian, and I acknowledge there are a lot of privileges and advantages that come along with my status at literally the expense of millions of other people around the world. And I also want to say that my intention is mainly to speak to other white people in my own life, um, particularly Australians. Too often I've been the one that has sat back and watched what's happened around the world and I've refused to take any responsibility for the racist system that's perpetrating a lot of these things, which was specifically designed to serve me and people like me at the detriment of everybody else. Everyone else was looked at as a means of getting ahead, of exploitation, of labor, 
of of stolen land opportunities, of stolen resource opportunities. And I'm sure that there are people who are listening that may have done the same, have, have not really looked at this and, and gone um, in depth in taking responsibility for that racist system because we make excuses like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't me. I wasn't there. That was so long ago. I'm going to get to that a little more in detail shortly. But I think that it's really important that I step up and that other people step up. And even if that sometimes means that we need to step aside so that substantial improvements can be made in society for everyone. I read this really challenging article this week that was posted by a friend, by Alicia Shearer, and the title of this article is To Dismantle Systemic Racism, People Must Be Willing to Give Up Their Power. And this is something that jarred me into a new space that I hadn't really delved into before as far as what does that mean, what does that look like if white people are going to actually give up some of the power that this system has been designed to make sure that we maintain. So I've been encouraged by the number of people that I've had conversations with both online and in person and the number of posts that I've been seeing, the number of resources that are being shared. Some of them are making me really uncomfortable, but uncomfortable is good. I think being uncomfortable, as many people have said, is necessary for substantial change and for actual real long lasting change. If we don't get to a space where we're uncomfortable and say, hey, okay, what are we going to do to to fix this? Instead of just running away and hiding from it and trying to pretend that it's not there because our privilege gives us the ability to do that, you know, being uncomfortable is an important step. Hell, this episode is making me uncomfortable. I'm going to try really hard not to do what I usually do when I'm uncomfortable and deflect with humor and stupid little jokes. This makes me uncomfortable because even though this is a very small platform, it's still the most public space in which I've ever shared my thoughts on racism and my experience being racist. Please know that what I'm going to be saying in this episode is a reflection of my own experiences and observations and opinions. I know that some people may get offended by things that I say, and I hope that they get offended for the right reasons. I hope that it's an offense that leads to a conversation that could then hopefully be like a growth experience for both me and that person or those people. But I also want to acknowledge that there's a really good chance I could say things that are unintentionally hurtful. I'm constantly trying to learn how to recognize my biases and my areas of ignorance, but I'm not perfect and I don't even really feel confident saying that I'm not racist. I want to be, I'm striving to be, but I know that there are going to be times when I mess up. Please, if I say something that needs to be reflected on and corrected, you can absolutely tell me that. Most of you know I'm on Instagram and on Twitter at Quitship Podcast. And I really, yeah, please feel free, reach out. So I'm going to be as open and honest as possible, but please do not take this as a cry for forgiveness for my white guilt. Um, even though I am guilty, as all white people are guilty, uh, this is much more of a me sharing my experience in the hopes that it's some in some way helpful. I don't know to who and I don't know how, but hopefully. Okay, if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that I grew up in a rural town in Queensland, Australia. The town's name's Maribyrnong. 
Americans often stu- struggle with that word, especially if they see it spelt They're like Maryborough, no, Maryborough. And I have shared quite a few things about my childhood and growing up there, schools I went to, etc. But I haven't really opened up about the fact that I grew up as a racist person. Now, I'm not going to blame my upbringing. I'm not going to say it's because of where I grew up or because of what I heard other people say or because of the attitudes of um, family or friends, because it just isn't helpful. Trying to say, oh, I was this way and I was ignorant in this because of this and, oh, I should be excused for blah, 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 doesn't fix anything. My thoughts, my actions, my words are entirely my responsibility. Now, when I was growing up, I never thought that I was racist. Looking back, I can I can clearly see specific moments where I can be like, yep, that was racist. And so I'm going to list some of the things that I've said over the years. And again, not a confession, not looking for forgiveness or absolution, but these are just examples of things that I said. And I was one of those people that used to be like, I'm not racist. And yet I was going around saying and doing these things. So here's my list. If you happen to be white and say to yourself, oh, I've done that or I've said that, maybe, maybe now's a good time to reflect. So I said the N-word when singing along to songs. I made jokes to and about the Vietnamese and Filipino kids at my school and their families. I would touch black people's hair without asking. The first time I was in New York, I literally avoided black people because I was scared of them. I dismissed acts of violence against First Nations people and migrants as their fault because of either where they were, how they behaved, spoke, dressed, their use of drugs and alcohol. I argued that Australia Day should not be moved and that calling it Invasion Day was offensive. I complained about the welfare benefits that First Nations people and migrants got in Australia, especially if they were, quote, barely Aboriginal. I said insensitive and racist things like, quote, how Aboriginal are you? I immediately judged First Nation people, First Nations people as alcoholics, druggies, dull bludgers, bad parents, bad kids, a drain on society as a whole. I argued against the government making an apology for the atrocities of colonization and the resulting stolen generation. I said things like, it was so long ago, why can't they just get over it? My family didn't do it. And I said things like, I'm not racist, but followed by, of course, some bullshit, racist, ignorant comment or another. Now, I can't pinpoint the exact moment where I became aware that I was racist. It's kind of been this ongoing realization that's unfolded over time as I've traveled more, I've met more people, I've read more books and articles and watched more documentaries and films and listened more. I've slowly begun to understand what it means to be white and all of the privileges that come along with that at the expense of literally billions of people around the world and throughout history. I think that recognizing and acknowledging and working to understand whiteness and its privileges has been that integral part to examining my actions, my inactions, my words, my thoughts, my conversations with and about people who aren't white. And here is a shameful realization that I've come to over the past couple of years and especially over the last month. I know very little about the issues of race in Australia. I knew that racism was systemic there. 
I know that I benefit directly from centuries of murder and abuse carried out by white Australians, but I couldn't name the organizations fighting against racism. I hadn't supported them physically or financially. I couldn't name the First Nations people who have died in police custody like David Dungay Jr., Joyce Clark, or Tanya Day. I found out that since 1991, after a Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths, there have been at least 432 deaths, if not 437, was the latest in an article that I saw today. I know more about what's happening in the United States than I do in my own country. One of the biggest pushes for me to acknowledge the history and the ongoing battles of First Nations people in Australia has actually been learning more about the occupation of Palestine. I know it's inexcusable that it has taken the suffering of other people in other countries to make me question what's happening in my own country, but it's the truth. If you've listened to my previous podcasts, you know that I grew up in a very Pentecostal evangelical home. And one important thing to understand about a lot of people in those denominations or sects is that they are often pro-Israel. And I'm going to add a Vice video, um, which is titled Why Evangelical Christians Love Israel on Instagram and Twitter. So if you want more information about why that relationship exists, you can check out that video. But the point is, I grew up in a pro-Israeli home and I was pro-Israel. At uni, I would see pro-Palestinian student groups protesting, handing out flies, and I would actively avoid them. I had arguments with friends about how Israel belonged to the Jews because that was the land they were given by God in the Bible. When I moved to the Middle East and when I listened to and talked with Palestinian students, teachers and friends, and when I read more about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and what was happening, those religious arguments of my childhood really fell flat in the face of the atrocities that were being carried out against the Palestinian people in the name of God, using God as an excuse for this. It really shook my faith and it opened my eyes to the similarities between the occupation of Palestine and the colonization of Australia. Now, let's keep in mind the British feature in both histories, in case you didn't already know. In one case, the British gave away what wasn't theirs to give. And then in the other case, they took something that wasn't theirs to take. And in both cases, they have caused irreparable harm, destruction, death and heartache that continues at the hands of us today. I'm not an expert in either Palestinian or First Nations history, but what I have learned about history over the years is that for someone to occupy a territory and to take it over from another group of people, they have to dehumanize those that are there in order to justify their actions to themselves and the world. The British have now been replaced by the Israelis and Australians who continue to marginalize and dehumanize Palestinians and First Nations people who they are striving to control. But viewing First Nations people and Palestinians solely as victims is something that can be just as damaging and dehumanizing as the occupation and racism itself. And so that's something that I'm really trying to make sure I don't fall into this hole of, oh, this is all the bad stuff and just dwelling on that. 
over the last couple of weeks, I've been um, reading a book called Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia, which is a collection of personal narratives put together by Anita Hess. And she points out in the introduction that the narratives in the book are about strength and resilience of pride and inspiration, and they, quote, demonstrate the will to survive and the capacity to thrive against the odds, not victimhood. And too often I've dwelt on what's made First Nations people in Australia and other people around the world victims rather than celebrating and supporting their successes. I think it's important that I acknowledge both the past and take responsibility for it and then engage with and celebrate the communities that are thriving despite what's been done to them, despite what I've done to them. And I don't mean to support with pity and charity. I mean to support by making the active decision to seek out and consume products, media, art, books by First Nations people, by black people, by people of color all around the world, by Asian artists and authors. This is something that just has to happen. One of the most powerful quotes that I read last week came from Michaela Loach, and she said, We do not live in a broken system. We live in a system that has been specifically designed to benefit some people and harm others. Calling it a broken system allows those in power to evade responsibility and blame. It holds us back from creating real change. Now, those words have really stuck with me and... Yes, we can talk about how this is systemic and it's a systemic problem. And some of the time that is actually really debilitating. It's like, okay, well, I don't know what to do on the system level. But then we need to remember the system is made up of individuals. And so if we as individuals do make a change, we can change that system. And what we're seeing happening in the US, I think, is really a wonderful awakening and push and I hope that that momentum keeps going and I hope it keeps spreading it's spreading to the UK it's spreading to Australia it's spreading around the world and I think that it's awesome so from the employment of terra nullius to the white Australia policy to the stolen generation to deaths in custody how is it that white Australians still can't see how the system has been set up to subjugate first nations people migrants refugees Pretty much anyone who doesn't tick the white European descent box. You know, our country benefits those of us that fit in that box or came from that box. At least for me, I know that I need to do better. I need to continue to educate myself. I need to constantly acknowledge that I have the privilege, the access, the opportunities because they were taken away from others. I wouldn't be in the position I'm in if it wasn't for the fact that someone else lost out. I need to listen, I need to learn, and then I need to take action. And that can be the hardest part, knowing where to do that and how to do that. So I've put links to resources on Instagram that I've used over the last couple of weeks that have been shared by friends and by um, many people around the world, many people on social media. And these are links to sources that you could use to learn more about First Nation people's history, racism, being white, being anti-racist. And I want to specifically mention two organizations. Well, one organization and one group that I've been engaging with over the last couple of weeks. 
So the first one I want to talk about is Common Ground Australia and their mission is to provide um, access to engaging and authentic content in order to build a foundational level of knowledge for all Australians about issues and history pertaining to First Nations peoples. And the resources that they create are free and accessible to all. So I really do encourage people to check those sources out and to consider donating to support their ongoing work. And another group that I found through Instagram and I've just really delved into a lot of the texts that they're recommending and books they're recommending um, is Blackfella Book Club. And it was started by Teela Reed and Marinda Dutton as a way to, quote, celebrate Aboriginal stories and Aboriginal voices. And it's about accepting and placing value on the way that Aboriginal people tell stories. As I said, I've loved seeing all the resources that people are sharing and the encouragement for people to educate themselves and to learn more. But I know that reading a long list of books and educating myself means nothing without action. I will put my money where my mouth is, not just as far as donations are concerned, but also by reassessing what I buy and actively choosing to find businesses and support businesses that are run by First Nations people when and where I can. I want to have those difficult conversations with people when they or I potentially say ignorant or racist comments and even if it's passed off as just a joke, I want to delve into that and have that conversation. I will keep learning what more I can do and I know that this process of trying to be anti-racist is something that I really do not want to quit. Thank you for taking the time to listen um, this week. I really do appreciate it. Uh, For the next couple of weeks, I'm actually going to be on the road or more literally a bike path because I'm going to be riding across South Korea. Uh, My plan is to record episodes along the way with my phone and headphones, but I don't know how well that's going to work out. haven't really tested that yet. But hopefully we're not going to end up with an episode about how I quit partway through and called my husband to come pick me up in the car, Uh, but we're going to see. Please do reach out to me if you have any comments or questions or any kind of feedback on this episode. Hope you have a great week. Bye.